Hey guys, welcome back to Solid Ground. As you know, this semester, our topic is the gospel, the good news, not just a message. This is the message in a world of bad news. We need to get into this. We want to see more, much more every week of the gospel. We want to have the, the veils taken away. We want to see, appreciate, understand, and apply the gospel. Um, so far, we've been going week by week, getting into God's word and seeing more light on this word, the gospel. I hope tonight um, there may be some things, familiar terms, familiar words, maybe even if we grew up in Christianity, but I hope tonight the Lord would send a spark of light, shine on his word and televise something new regarding the gospel into each one of us. Um, this happened about 500 years ago and it changed the world. If it happens in each one of us, it will change our Christian life, change our trajectory, and change the way we live, okay? That's what we want as we're getting into the gospel. This is the real good news. And quick reminder, we had a whole message on this, uh, message two. We, I feel like we need this reminder. The gospel, it's not, a, not, just, not a mere message or doctrine. Our gospel is a person, okay? Acts 8.35 they announced Jesus as the gospel. Galatians 1.16, Paul announced him as the gospel, okay? Jesus in him, in Jesus Christ our Savior, is all the good news. Outside of him, just bad news. Um, it's just this wonderful person we have in his person and his work. And as it's applied to us, we're going to see tonight, there's a structure to this gospel. Actually, the gospel is just the triune God meeting with man in his great love, longing to be one with man, joined with man. And this has three aspects in its structure. Uh, the righteousness of God, God the Father in his righteousness, Christ in his life, and the Spirit in infusing faith in us. This is what the gospel has applied to us, okay? We're going to get into it. Um, the message is called the structure of the gospel, okay? So the structure of something is, is super crucial. Like, just take a building, for example. Um, everything, the lights, electricity, insulation, everything in that building relies on the surety of that structure, okay? Um, in a human body, our skeletal system provides the structure. A structure gives protection, it gives shape, it gives security, it gives form. Okay, the structure is crucial to the integrity of that building. We want to know the, the structure of the gospel so we would be people who appreciate it and apply it, okay? Um, knowing this is so crucial. Our banner verse tonight, and this is not just the banner verse for tonight. This verse is the banner of the gospel of God. I hope you never forget it, okay? It's right there at the top of our sheet. You guys all got that PDF or that sheet. Um, but the righteous shall have life and live by faith. This is Romans 1.17. This verse is the banner of God's eternal gospel. This is, this is uh, and tonight we're looking at righteousness, life, and faith. The righteousness of God, the life of Christ, and the faith of the believers. Um, possibly familiar terms, but hopefully we see something so fresh and new. You know, in uh, the 1500s, there was a man who realized that God was righteous and everything he could do to try to come up to God's level of righteousness, he realized left him short. He went to Rome. He was a priest and a monk. 
His name was Martin Luther, by the way. Uh, our, our club, we take a summer church history trip and we go to a lot of the places where he was. But he would even go up the stairs in the Vatican on his knees, getting bloody knees to try to please a God who was righteous. But you know what happened? One day, a spark of light hit this verse, Romans 1.17, and really just the first part of the verse, the righteous. And he realized, God is righteous and I'm unrighteous. But the light came. The righteous shall have life and live by, this was the, by faith, not by works, by faith. This revelation of God to Martin Luther started the reformation that changed the world. Uh, the world we live in uh, is, is, is a product of the Reformation. And we want the Lord to sh- visit us again and shine on this verse. And, and I might add the whole verse. The righteous shall have life and live by faith. Okay, so what does this mean? The righteous shall have life and live by faith. Um, starting with uh, the first section here, the righteousness of God. Listen to this. It's the procedure of God's salvation. What does that mean? God is righteous. It's it's a core attribute of his divinity. He's righteous. Even if he doesn't want to be, he's righteous. Everything he does is automatically righteous. He can't deny himself and do something unrighteous. This verse, Psalm 103.6 says, Jehovah God executes all his acts righteously. So I, I want to ask you something. If I just, before this message, I say, hey, why does God forgive? What would make God, a righteous God, forgive? What comes up? Maybe, maybe you'd say, he loves us. And that's right. God's love, John three sixteen. hallelujah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is the source and motive of salvation. But let me ask you this, how can a righteous God forgive an unrighteous sinner? And he's, he, he's, um, he's love. He's a, another attribute. He's love. His being is love. He wants to give himself in grace to his people. But he's in this predicament and this dilemma because he's love, but he's also righteousness. So if he just said, hey, I love you so much, I'm going to forgive you. I, I just forget your sins. We just sweep them away and forget about it. He would forgive unrighteously. The devil could look at him and say, God, I caught you. You sinned in forgiving the sinners. Can you believe that? And God would say, you're right. And his entire governmental administration and his throne would topple and crumble because Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So God can't deny this righteousness. He is in a dilemma. He's love, but he's also righteous. Um, what does he do? What can he do? Seemingly, God is stuck, um, and we're stuck because uh, we're just the unrighteous sinner in need of God's love. What does he do? What can a righteous God do at this predicament? Let me tell you a story. All right. In the summer, we'd go on vacation when I was little. We visited my cousins this one time. My younger cousin, we loved to play together. Um, they just got this brand new golf cart, and it went pretty fast. And I got a chance to get behind the wheel, and we were having a great time, goofing off, swerving. I hit the 
gas or electricity, whatever it is, a little too hard out of a turn, I hit a wall, uh, a brick wall. And immediately we're like, oh man, okay, panic mode is setting. And we go down, look, that front axle is completely gone. It's just in, it's in half, it's done. And so, okay, the first thoughts, we're like breathing heavy, <sighs> looking at each other. Um, can we fix it? And it was like, no. <laughs> can we hide it so no one will know? No. <laughs> then came the question, how much is this going to cost? Someone has to pay for this. We can't just, we can't hide it. We can't fix it. And it turns out a, a repair like that starts at 800 bucks. And I'm a little kid. Uh, and all my birthday money hadn't added up to 800 bucks yet. So, um, you know, we had to face my relatives. We had to face my family and someone had to pay. Someone had to pay the price. Uh, thankfully, I mean, we got it worked out with the relatives and family and, you know, there was a little a, a plan and we got it taken care of, but that's just 800 bucks. What about a price you could never pay? Uh, how about a trillion dollars? Is that a price you can never pay? Okay, this is what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. The soul who sins must die, Ezekiel 18, 4. It's a price we can never pay, but have to pay, and there's no way out. We're stuck, but guess what? God, who is love in, in, in his being, is stuck as well. What is the answer? It's the gospel. The gospel to man, and it's the gospel to God. It's the good news to God. He's not stuck. What did God do? Here's what he did. He did a righteous procedure. The righteousness of God seen in a righteous procedure, legally and judicially, perfectly righteous. You've heard this story, but if you can, listen to it as if you've never, ever heard it. God came. He became a man named Jesus who was like us in every way, like us in every way, who was tempted like us, yet he was without sin. He lived the most noble and attractive and life full of aroma and comeliness so that even this man who was physically unattractive, the Bible says, was so attractive to sinners and tax collectors and anyone who would hear him and receive him. He lived this perfect sinless life and he went to the cross and there, and I hope you guys have your CSOC journals or something to write these down. I'm going to give some verse references. Don't have time to look them up now, but just write them down. Jehovah God there on the cross after the three hour mark, after he was ridiculed and spat upon and mocked by men, God, Jehovah Almighty God came in for his judgment now. Jehovah God caused all of our iniquities to fall upon this man. That's Isaiah 53, 6. Jesus bore up every one of our sins in his body on that tree. 1 Peter 2.24 And God made this one who knew no sin into sin itself. He made him the unique sinner, the only person who would ever and ever will sin in God's eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And God sent down his mighty burning wrath and hatred for sin. He hates sin because it nullifies his plan to be with man. And he burnt Jesus there on the cross inwardly under God's righteous judgment, just like the burnt offering in the Old Testament 
to ashes. Um, he suffered the Father leaving him and judging him. Um, this death on the cross, it fulfilled God's righteous judgment, and it was done according to the eternal spirit, Hebrews 9.14, which means a few things. It means Christ, his suffering, the things seen to man were just the surface. What he was undergoing in his righteous judgment of God, you can multiply by a factor of infinity. Corollarily, the result of his death, redemption and forgiveness to all men, life impartation, was now effective to all men over all time, past, present, and future. How about some thank you, Lord Jesus, is in the chat right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This verse is on the outline, First um, Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. This is the only time needed. The righteous on behalf of the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. This was the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous, according to God's righteous standard. It was a righteous procedure. Praise God. So he paid for the unrighteous. And what was the result? This verse, Romans 3.25, also there. Whom God set forth as a propitiation place through faith in his blood. And get this phrase. All these phrases under each have the keyword. They all have righteousness under the first section. For the demonstrating of his righteousness, God did this. He demonstrated, I'm a righteous God. This is who I am. Take this seriously. But he set forth Christ as a propitiation place. That means outside of Christ, sinners, unrighteous men have no way to meet God. No way. But God has made a place. He set him forth, a place where man could meet with God. And God says, hey, you're in Christ. I approve you. According to my righteous standard, if the devil were here, he could look you up and down and say, oh, man, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing wrong. You're as righteous as God in his son. This is so awesome, the righteous procedure. Um, he proves us to his righteous standard. And he's not saying this because he loves us. He's saying this because a righteous procedure took place. Um, so maybe you've, you've heard this. I know, I know we've heard bits and pieces, but I think we don't realize and appreciate it enough. I'm saying that from my experience. And why? Because we don't apply it enough. We don't apply the result of this marvelous death. Um, you know, in verse 16 here, it's, it's under the first section, Romans 1, 16, the gospel is called the power of God. Why? It's not the power of God because God loves you so uber much. It's the power of God because it's according to righteousness. That means whether God likes you, he happens to love you, but whether he feels like it or not, you can come to him and say, God, right now you have to forgive me. You don't have a choice. Right now, apply what you've done. You paid the price already. If you don't receive me, you're unrighteous. How about that? I think God would love if we talked to him in this way. He'd say, that's right. That's the base of my salvation. It's the power. Stop paying so much attention to your feelings. He's like, just come to me. I've done everything, okay? Too often, we believers live by our feelings. We sin, we have a failure, and we say, ah, I just need to, I need to feel bad for a while. I need to just, I need to take some time. Not, not a billion years could pay for one of your sins. 
not a billion years. Time doesn't pay for sins. God esteems the blood of Jesus. That's it. And it's effective eternally and right now. Don't wait. Trust the blood. Apply it. Do you see what I mean? We need to see and appreciate it and apply it. Okay. Now, this is the last verse under this section. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch that? He's faithful and loving to forgive us. No, he's faithful and righteous. It means if we confess, he's righteously upheld to forgive us. And he's faithful again and again, no matter how big the sin, no matter how many times the sin, his heart is for us to come and return. Take what he's done and stand on it. This is so awesome. I feel like I need this speaking and we all need this speaking. Um, three things happen when we confess and three parties are taken care of quickly. Okay. When we confess our sins, our conscience is appeased from the guilt and the weight and oppression of sin. When we confess our sins, it's removed. On God's side, when we sin, Isaiah 59, 15 says there's a distance between us and God. When we confess our sins, the distance is removed and we're brought back to God in fellowship with him. And the third party, this loser named Satan, he's called the accuser several times in the Bible. He loves to tempt us. And then when we fall, condemn us. But guess what? The blood answers and shuts him up. We should, once we take the blood and confess the Lord, say, Satan, look at that blood. I'm as righteous as God in, in, in his son. Now get out of here. That's the kind of faith we need. And we're going we're gonna to get into faith and talk about it. I love this. Okay. Do you, do you have any more appreciation for the righteous procedure? The righteousness that's the foundation, unshakable for our sure salvation in this gospel? Hallelujah. How about some hallelujahs in the chat there? Okay. All right. Believe it or not, the righteous procedure is not even the purpose of the gospel. What? <laughs> Uh, this next section, the life of Christ is the purpose of God's salvation. Let me say again, the life of Christ is the purpose of God's salvation. Um, guess what? If, if you, if up until now you thought, well, I try to be good, but when I fail, Jesus pays for my mistakes. Great. That's true. But that's not all. We want to have a much more seen tonight and a greater appreciation. The purpose of God's salvation is life, believe it or not. And we go back to the beginning of the Bible. Man is in the garden and God just didn't intend for man to fall. And then he just rescues him. But the first thing he did, he put man before the tree of life. Okay. That means God wanted to be life himself as life to man. That's the purpose man made in his image. Man could receive him as life, express and represent God. Okay. Obviously we fell, we were corrupted. We, we fell short of God's glory, which means his expression. But guess what? The gospel restores us to the purpose, brings us back to life. The life of Christ is the purpose of the gospel. All right. And don't just believe my words. Let's always look in the Bible and see where God's word says this. Um, well, first one thing. So the gospel, it's not just to make sinners clean. The gospel is to make sinners into sons. The gospel is not just to make a bottle here. I got a bottle and I, it was all dirty, fell into the mud, but then I wash it. The gospel is to wash that bottle and fill it up. That's the gospel for God's eternal purpose. It's good news for God and it's good news for us. Um, let's look at this first verse in this section, the life of Christ. 
Romans 5.10 says, If we being enemies were reconciled to God through the death of his son, that right there is the righteous procedure. We're brought back to God through his death. Listen to this. Much more we will be saved in his life. Let me say that again. Much more we will be saved in his life. Not judicially. It doesn't mean we're not, we weren't saved. We were always saved. Actually, the first time we believe in Jesus, we're saved eternally from perdition. Um, the righteous procedure saves us judicially from God's judgment. This is referring in Romans 5.10, being saved in life is an organic matter. And we'll, we'll talk about this. Um, it brings us back to God's purpose to fill us up with his life. Okay, we've got to look at these verses here in Romans 8, okay? All these verses mention life, and it's zoe in Greek. That's the divine life. So God first gets into our deepest part, our spirit. That's Romans 8.10. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So the righteous procedure paves the way for Christ to enter our spirit as life. But he doesn't want to just stop there. He wants to spread outward from our spirit into our soul. That's like our mind, our emotion, our will, our, our thoughts, our feelings, our decisions. Look at this verse, Romans 8, 6. But the mind, set, the mind, that's the leading part of the soul, is set on the spirit, is life. Okay? So Christ, let me just ask you. <laughs> Today, your thoughts, were all of them righteous? Were they God's thoughts? I mean, even, of course we know the sinful thoughts aren't, aren't, aren't godly. But what about just, maybe we had a thought, around Christian brothers, and then you see some guy and you're like, what is this guy doing, man? And in your deep down, you don't say it, but you're like, I just esteem myself better than him. That, that's not God's thought. What does that show? That's one tiny example of the thousands we have daily that show us, man, we need God's life to come into that part of our thought, come into those feelings. We need it to spread out. Golly, like we need... Our, our feelings, all our anxieties and moods, so, so many highs and lows during the pandemic. Oh, I know, and, and I know we need one another, but we, we really need to help one another get God's life. That, that's what we need. And, and we get God's life to come into our thoughts, into our feelings. And eventually, Romans 8, 11 says, eventually he'll give this life to your mortal body when he glorifies us. This means God wants, in, through the gospel, to give and impart his life every part of our being. This is so awesome. Final verse in this, in this section, Romans 8.2. How does he do it? He does it through the Spirit. God is Spirit. He's the Spirit of life. And as we contact Him, it's not some force, it's not some thing. The Spirit is Himself, and He's ready to give life. He's even called the life-giving Spirit. Okay, guys, so the life of Christ is the purpose of God's salvation, okay? We need much more fellowship about this, but that's, we're going to go on to the next section. The final part of the structure of the gospel of God from this banner verse, Romans 1.17, the faith of the believers, okay? Uh, the only verse in the New Testament that defines faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substantiation of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So this section says the, believe, the faith of the believers is the substantiation or practicality, if you want another P word, a third P word, um, of God's salvation. That means it makes those things real to us, like real. Like if I'm blind and you're telling me about the color blue and the color yellow, I'm like, okay. But if I, if I somehow am able to activate my eyes as the proper organ, 
I substantiate those colors. Faith substantiates all the things hoped for, all the things not seen. Um, okay, you know, when, when we're not under the hearing of faith, even, it's like even, even God isn't real. Even our salvation, we're like, man, am I even a believer? But we need to, we need to, we need to make sure we're under the hearing of faith. We'll talk about that. Um, Romans 3.22, the next verse says, even the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ to all those who believe. Okay, so this is called the faith of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It means in ourselves, we have no faith. The faith belongs to him. The faith is him. Let me tell you a story. Okay, I used to do campus ministry at MIT. Summary of that is it was me going around meeting people that were worlds smarter than me, okay? And I was very intimidated, but the Lord is with me. Um, so this one guy that I, I would meet up with often, these are a few statements he said. He said, and this is after talking and getting to know each other, he said, you know, at my heart of hearts, I, I, I know that life is meaningless. That's what he said. You know, and he, he was a really smart guy. And the second thing he said, uh, you know, you know what we are, Josh? We're just sacks of water with neurons in our head. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I think you have a too, too many neurons in that sack of water there. Um, and then, okay. And then the third thing that he said at one point was, you know, Josh, I just realized I can never believe. I can never believe in what you believe. And I latched onto it. I said, aha, bro. Out of all the things you said, you finally said a fact. You can never believe. You have no faith. And he's like, yeah. I said, even if you were convinced and agreed with everything I said, you agreed with it mentally, you couldn't believe even if you wanted to. And he's like, well, if I wanted to, I could. I said, no, you can't. It's like, you don't understand what faith is. Well, then what is faith? I told him, faith is Christ coming to you and being infused into you, rising up in you and believing for you, even if you don't want to. And he's like, okay, we kept meeting and meeting. Weeks later, he comes to me, we sit down. He said, hey, Josh, I'm thinking of not meeting with you anymore. I'm like, okay, well, reason. And he, uh, he says, you know, I'm in, I'm in this, these you know, these academic philosophy, um, fraternity things, these groups that I roll with, and I'm just starting to believe this God stuff. And like, it's going to kind of ruin like everything that I'm involved with. And I was just like, Hey, guess what? If, if you keep coming and meeting with me, you're going to be as crazy for Jesus as I am. So just letting you know, that's what it is. That's what, that's what it is. So, if, okay. If that's the case, why? Because Romans 10, 17, faith, comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. During the pandemic, has your faith been low? Has God not been that real? Has, oh man, I, I don't know if I can really come to God. I don't know if I can read the Bible. I don't know if I believe that Jesus is, you're hearing all these things, all these different stimuli and your faith is low. Let me ask you, how is your hearing of faith? Have you been getting the daily hearing of faith in the Bible? Have you been, when, you, when you're not able to do that, are you getting with brothers and sisters in Christ so you can hear the words of Christ and going to Christian meetings. Our faith is of Christ Jesus and it comes through the hearing of faith, not from ourselves. So um, during this pandemic, may we all be filled with the words of faith, he filled with this kind of hearing more and more, and it will drive the gospel. Okay. So what do we see today? We saw these three points of the structure of the gospel of God. The gospel is the triune God being applied to man who he loves. 
the righteousness of God. Aren't you thankful for that righteous procedure? The life of Christ, that's the purpose. He wants to make us men of life, new, new thoughts, new feelings, new person. And how has it happened practically? Faith, faith of the believers. It's the faith of Christ, but it becomes the faith of the believers through the hearing of the word of Christ. Um, I hope we would be blessed. I hope we would be blessed to even speak these words of faith into so many others, put faith into their heart and in their mouth, and they can have the same experience of the gospel that has such a marvelous structure, righteousness, life, and faith. Okay, CSOC, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in again with us. Bye-bye.